Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. Happy to be here. Audience members, she has been at every podcast intro recording, but Jen is now on mic. It's hot. Hot mic. Hot mic. Letting me loose. <laughs> um, this is our casting adaptations panel from season 12. Mm-hmm. And I am going to start by saying that I started watching season two of The Bear last night. And I sent Jeannie Bacharach an email because I literally had the thought while I was watching it how much I enjoy all of their faces. Like there's just something very – and I know that all of the individual people are responsible for their own faces and their own performances. (laughs) No, Jeannie is definitely responsible for their faces. But I'm like – but the (laughs) casting of that show is so specific and interesting and the entire time I just kept thinking about – casting it and how individually I enjoy all of their faces so much and very specifically in that show like mm-hmm. um it's Io right that plays Sydney mm-hmm. um I've seen her I know she's been around for a while as a writer and an actress the bear is why I know her since season 1 I have seen her in a few other things and she is doing absolutely excellent work in the way that she should for those shows, something like Abbott Elementary, very different than The Bear. Mm-hmm. But her specifically as Sydney is so such a perfect fit. And I'm going to give Jeannie credit for that. She's amazing at that. I mean, Station Eleven is the same thing. You just like, you're looking at that. Like every, every single person on that show is so mm-hmm. interesting. And like, yeah, you can't look away from them. Yeah. Anyway, which is kind of interesting now that you've said both of those or I said one and you said one, is I did watch her episode of she cast Joan is Awful episode of Black Mirror in the Mm. new season and Himish Patel from Station Eleven and Io are both in it, which... They're great. Makes sense. Anyhow, casting. How did this come about? How did the the mini twists and turns... Everyone should know. We start with, we will have a panel on casting. We will have a panel on music. We will have a panel on, you know trying to cover as many topics as possible and getting further into that. This year we have a costume panel coming up later. Yeah. But we have worked with the Casting Society. Gosh, we got an email from Tracy Lillianfield. Season two, probably. Mm-hmm. That sounds correct. And then probably have been doing panels with them since season three and doing all different sorts of ways into casting. And there are thousands more that we can do, but doing it specifically with members of the Casting Society represented, um, which is essentially their guild. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, And so we start with a very broad topic and think about like what is happening currently in TV. And this, I think you picked adaptations based on what we were looking at. I know it. Yeah. I mean, the casting stuff is there's never like a shortage of ideas. I usually end up sending Tracy like four or five things and like entire lists of people that I'm like, how about these people? Mm-hmm. Can I have them please? Um, and so I usually send her like four or five ideas and then based on, you know, who she knows and thinks would be a good fit for the festival and, you know, is is like comfortable on panels and the shows that are, you know, hot at that exact moment. Like she she helps us sort of narrow it down mm-hmm. and then put out invites and she's very 
very helpful and like integral uh, in putting these together every year. So yeah, I think this was one of like five ideas that I sent her and then it ended up being like just a very, there were just a lot of shows that yeah. fit it this year. Well, because there's different types of adaptations on it from Jeannie doing, you know, Station Eleven, which was a book, or Felicia Fasano doing A League of Their Own, which was a movie. I mean, The Dropout is technically also kind of a... Is it a... It was a podcast. It was a podcast. And then, yeah. And then Richard Hicks, who did The Last Thing He Told Me, which is on Apple TV Plus right now, and was filmed partially in Austin, which mm-hmm. is very exciting. Uh, Conrad Wolf, who did Grease, Rise of the Pink Ladies, um, which are all, you know, a mixture of books, I guess, podcasts and feature films, but adapting an original source material and characters that you know, mm-hmm. um, which is really nice. You know, every year is hard for different reasons to cat or to get panelists on any number of things. It's nice that this one showed up in this way because they were just a really fun group. Felicia Fasano, new new best friend. Yeah. She's the chemistry on this panel is kind of insane. Like you never know mm-hmm. who's gonna vibe with each other. Um, but they I love when they ask each other questions and mm-hmm. like they just kind of like jump in and bounce off of each other and they're all very funny um and insightful and you can tell they've they've had a lot of different experiences. <laughs> well, sure. And some of which they <laughs> they kind of uh you know, hold back on at some points. But they do they do share a lot of stories and um, have had a wide range of experiences, but yeah, they were they were a great group and had a lot of fun with each other. Well, and the behind the scenes of this that I like is I'm pretty sure Jeannie's the only one that had been before. Yeah, Conrad, Felicia, and Richard are all new, but Jeannie's first year was last year, and so she got to sort of integrate last year on both the casting panel and the Station Eleven panel. But then she did the thing we love and became part of our family, which was she went to other panels. There were people at the festival that she knew last year. It was like. Tommy Shlami and the Manhattan crew. Mm-hmm. This year in the green room, she ran into Dave Annable mm-hmm. and she cast brothers and sisters. So then they went out for drinks afterwards and like hung out. And I think that led Felicia to kind of do the same thing. And she ended up staying the entire festival and seeing her friends and pitching me ideas on her way out of like next year, can we do panels on this, this, and this? And I was like, sounds great. I have ideas for panelists. I have ideas for topics. And so Felicia all approved. Yeah. Which is always my favorite as you get, you know, kind of the old guard is even just Jeannie coming last year. But this idea of like permission to become a part of the community and family and integrate. And so we got a new one this year. Yeah. Richard and uh, Conrad weren't here for very long, but they were great while they were here and we would love to have them back. They're very fun guys. Of course. Um, and Tracy does come and then sit in the audience, and I was very happy to see her and her family. She could be on every casting panel as well, but she grace- gracefully lets other people be on it, but then comes and supports, which is really highly appreciated. Yeah. The the coolest thing, or one of the cool things about this conversation is that they, you can tell like how much they love their jobs, and they say a couple different times like they're they're just speaking to their own experiences and their own relationships with, you know, showrunners and actors and stuff, but they they talk for a bit about, you know, making sure that it is always clear that they are on the side of the actors. Like they're not they may physically be across the room or across the table, but like they are always rooting for people 
to get the job mm-hmm. and to to be set up for success and uh, how they sort of advocate for that in different ways um, with producers and networks and showrunners and all of that. So, so yeah, if, if, you know, like we have done a lot of casting conversations, but I think this one covers a lot of ground. Um, and if you're not familiar with the process, then this is a really, really cool look into how different people approach it and why they care about doing this because they do actually care and they, yeah, I just thought it was cool how much you can tell that they just love actors and have had their own experiences. Like a lot of them have, were actors at one point. Um, but yeah, I just thought it was fun. I love it. So enjoy this panel, Casting Adaptations, moderated by Sarah Petrie from the Alamo Draft House. Presented by Casting Society. We have Jeannie, is it Bacharach? Did I say it right? Bacharach. Jeannie. Jeannie. And we have Conrad, is it Wolf? I forgot to ask you guys this beforehand. Conrad Wolf, come on out. And then last but not least, we have Felicia Fasano. Hello. Give you guys a minute to get. I know it's a big, big I didn't step. Didn't know we were doing karaoke. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Obviously, at the end, we're saving it for the end. Great. Oh man, um, thank you guys for being here. Thanks for having us. So um, we were chatting in the green room, and I'm not going to bring that up. <laughs> I swear. Um, I was telling a few of y'all. Um, I recently, and this, I promise you this panel is not about me, but I want to share this short anecdote because it really informed me coming into this. So a few months ago, I was moderating a panel of authors about adaptations of their books that they were made into films. Um, and it was Angie Thomas, who had The Hate You Give, uh, Julie Murphy, who had Dumplin', and then uh, Sarah Shepard, who had Pretty Little Liars. And I asked them, like, I, right away I was like, okay, let's get this out. Like, what is the biggest misconception your readers and fans have when it comes to your adaptations. And they were like, they all, like, like almost unanimously, they were like, that we cast, that we cast the adaptation. They were like, we get so many complaints from fans. How, how could we dare cast this actor as this character? Like, they just went off. And I was like, it's you guys. <laughs> it's you guys. Um, so... I'm excited to talk to you about your perspective um, coming from talking to these authors who, by the way, were like really like huge fans of their adaptations. So they were very positive, um, like really loved the process. Um, But anyway, we're not here to talk about them. We're here to talk about you. So you. Um, So why don't we get started with, um, you know, what is it when you're looking at casting an adaptation versus like an original, you know, script or what it might be, you know, there's got to be some differences in your process, right? Because you're, it's a known property, it has fans, it has conceptions of what these characters are like. Um, so how does that process look for you in terms of how it's different than your normal process? And anybody can start, or I can call on someone. Well, I think... It's on. It's on? Okay. Um, thank you. 
Uh, this is why I'm behind the camera. Um, I think it also depends on whether you're talking about uh, historical, you know, real people. True. Because um, if you're doing something that involves real people, it's, it's you know, are we, are we going to try to do lookalikes? Um, or are we, you know, going to sort of create our own version of that person. And, you know, and, and I think depending on the storytelling and how important it is that, that you stick true to who that person was, how known they are. Um, so, like, with the dropout, obviously Elizabeth Holmes is a very recognizable character. Um, it was important that we cast somebody who looked like her. <clears throat> when we got to George Schultz, who I think probably, other than... Um, I think was probably the, the other character who people might know, recognize the most. It, we had a, a big discussion about that, and ultimately we cast Sam Waterston, who looks nothing like George Schultz. Um, but it was about, at that point, we needed someone with gravitas, we needed someone with weight, um, and it, it, that was more important at that point than matching the person. So I think it really depends when you're dealing with real people, like what, what's the more important part of the story? I think it's kind of a matrix of things. Like you weigh the, the um, essence of the actor and the kind of essential needs of the character and how much they look like them. And somebody might look a little more like them, but they are a different kind of person. So you want to go with the person who has a, something essential maybe. So you're always kind of trying to keep that in mind as you zero in who to go to. Right, physicality versus characteristics or yeah, qualities. Yeah. yeah. To tag onto that, um, the challenge for in League of Their Own was also that we were doing period. So also, there's certain people feel very contemporary, and we were trying to keep, you know, very true to the time of the '40s, and that was something else that we had to consider. Yeah. No, no facial work. No plastic surgery. Definitely that. No. Harder and harder to find people. Harder and harder to find. Yikes. Is, we had the, uh, with Greece, that was the same situation, obviously, with 1954. And, you know, I think any, we go into any process on any project, sort of, there's a moment where we're vibing, we're getting a sense from the showrunner, like, what are, like, how heightened is this? What, is the, what level are we looking for? How grounded is this? And with something like Greece we were fortunate because we were liberated from like, you know, recasting Sandy or something, you know, these really iconic characters for the most part, but because it's prequel and so we, we had license to sort of create these new characters, but it was all led, like the entire process was led with like capturing the energy, like the, you know, the fun heightened energy of Greece, but still having like a sort of grounded you know, we, we always look to Stockard Channing's performances, Rizzo, of, of, like, this, like, really honest, really grounded sort of within this universe. But it was big grease energy was what we tried to capture. Big grease energy. Big grease energy. Oh, I love it. It's good. Yeah, T-shirt. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, what about with, you know, fictional characters, like, you know, Jeannie with, like, Station Eleven or uh, The Last Thing He Told Me or, I you know, it wasn't in the program, but Conrad, I heard you say you cast uh, Love, Simon. Um, Love, Victor. Or, sorry, Love, uh, Victor. I'm yeah. sorry. Um, same universe, different, mm -hmm. uh, different book. Different yeah. um, you know, how, what's your sort of research or what's your process like where you're, you know, kind of finding out, okay, who's this character? Um, 
and then sort of balancing that with the vision that the showrunner or the, the team has for the show. For the last thing he told me, it was very easy because she was, uh, Laura Dave was one of the producers, so we could always go to her with a question of like, what do you want most here? And so it, mine was pretty simple. <laughs> yeah. um, with Station Eleven, um, I made the choice not to read the book uh-huh. uh, beforehand, whereas um, my uh, casting partner uh, did read it. So we would kind of balance each other out a little bit. But um, I, I, I just sort of made that choice because I wanted to sort of come to it fresh. Um, and, you know, for Patrick, who created the show, I think it was important to carry over elements, again, characteristics of the characters, but, you know, not feel, um, you know, strong, no, what's the word? Bound by bound, them? Bound yeah. by it, you Beholding know, and, them. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, and really to open up the world and really make it, what was really important to him and to all of us was to really reflect the world and especially the, the post-pandemic world and what, what, what would post-pan people be like? you know, children who grew up without the world as we have known it. Um, and so, you know, in terms of fluidity of, you know, gender and ethnicity and just, you know, everything about them, it was really uh, freeing to be able to just kind of create a whole new world of people. How would you say the, if I may ask, how of would course. you say the... Um, you're not reading it and your partner's reading it. How, how did that affect who ended up in, in it? Um, I'm in charge. <laughs> Got it. So you're right. Uh, no, no, no. I, it, no, it really led to some interesting conversations. Uh-huh. I mean, I and, and ultimately, you know, how to serve the present piece. But I, I do think, like, it was important to have that knowledge yeah. of, of the book, but, like, be able to build on that as uh-huh. opposed to, again, be held by it yeah, yeah. And, and ruled by it. Yeah, that's cool. I'm just going to... No, go for it. Um, not about League, but I cast Constantine, the series, and oh, uh-huh. this was just... I mean, the fans were just rabid about it. They were... He had to be a scouser. He had to look like this. He had to be from this certain part. And I mean, to learn the fans' reaction to it, and I was very much wanted to make the fans happy, believe me. I was like, they can find out where I live, you know? (laughs) So that was just a whole other journey. And, I mean, luckily we got Matt Ryan, who still plays Constantine in that world, and I don't get anything for that. But um, (laughs) It's a travesty. That's a travesty. But, I mean, but... But I imagine it's tricky, like, because, yeah, of course, you, you know, you want fans to be, to feel like the spirit of the work is captured in the casting, but, like, you know, you can't just do things for the fans, obviously. So, for Constantine, how did you sort of align, like, what you thought the fans might want with, again, like, what you knew the, the showrunner or the team was looking for? Well, I think we found the right answer in Matt Ryan. I mean, he satisfied everyone, and he was just he's just a phenomenal actor, and he physically fit the bill. And we did dye his hair blonde, which, you know, we <laughs> did look outside of blondes. <laughs> but, I mean, I, I think really it was just all of us coming together, and at the end of the day, it was Matt. After, you know, ten callbacks, it was... He was always the one. <laughs> yeah. I have to also say, like, I'm not on Twitter. 
So when I cast, I mean, you know, when I'm working, at, like, I just put it out there and then I try not to read too much about I mean, that seems how people the, are the healthiest way it. to yeah. approach it. Yeah. But not everyone. I mean, for something like Greece, we were so hyper aware of people's relationship to Greece and that world and that movie. I mean, both movies really, but particularly the first. And um, it was a little bit of, we wanted to make sure that people knew that we weren't trying to change that property or whatever we were trying to expand on it and sort of look at certain things from a new lens. But, you know, from the beginning, because we started with a an open call, a global open call. Oh, you know, wow. We were looking for, for fresh faces. I mean, young, you know, triple threats. And so Paramount and our entire team was really excited to find people who hadn't done this before. I mean, none of our, um, nine of our 10 series regulars hadn't been series regulars before. And like some we pulled out of college, you know, but all of which to say like we, when we put out that flyer for our open call, we were hoping that the Greece fans would sort of not immediately be like, this is a travesty, like, what are you doing? And instead circulated, and it turned out to be very positive. I mean, we got a huge, huge um, amount of submissions, and it was shared really widely, so we were really grateful for that love. What is that like to manage? Have all of you had, have all of you done, like, something that yeah. huge, like a global casting yeah. call? Yeah. That just seems like a lot of work. It's a lot of work, but we it love is. it. We love it. it we is. love it. We love it. And yeah, yeah, no. Yeah, I mean, the thrill of giving someone their first opportunity, I think, is probably why we're all here and still doing it. I mean, there's just yeah, you know, or to, to be able to deliver the person, you know, yeah. that kind of encapsulates it all. It's what drives us, I would say. Yeah, I mean, if you don't mind sharing, like, what for each of you, what is like one of your proudest moments, or like, I don't know, just one of your most like joyful, whether it was informing this person that their, you know, you, their career was maybe about to take off or informing, you know, the team that you'd found like the perfect person. I mean, well, I just had a, a experience recently where um, usually what happens is, you know, you tell the actors representatives that they've gotten the job and then that agent or manager calls the client and gets to tell them. And then, you know, we'll do like a follow-up phone call. Um, but this last uh, project I worked on, the agent and manager had me on the call uh, to do a Zoom with the young woman that we cast who had just gotten out of college. This was her first oh. professional job. What job and was to, this? Uh, this was for Presumed Innocent on okay, Apple. Okay, great. And so it was like, you know, you've seen those like videos where like, the person, you know, finds out that they got the, you know, and it's like, then the music plays and it's, you know, them crying and all of that. I, I actually think I cried more than she did. Um, but it was like to have actually been there from like the minute she found out was like, I can't believe after 30 years in this business, that was my first time getting to be oh, there. Wow. To get, to give, yeah. well, you but to, to. I do it every time. I get on the phone oh, with them do? and I, oh, I do it every time. And what we so do is I fuck with them. So. No way. So I, Every single time. I, it depends on the, who it is and what the story is. But we get on and go, Felicia has to ask you one more thing. And it's like, hey, it's either going to be on Zoom or on the phone. I'm like, hey, I'm so sorry. I'm, I hate to put you through this again, but uh, would you be okay going to Pittsburgh? And then they're like, ah! And then we're all like, ah! Oh, <laughs> Whatever it is. Or like, that's yeah, cute. We did that for, for Greece. It was actually like something that Paramount and, and our production companies wanted to do, but we, with all of those series regulars, I mean, 
most of them, save for the, the couple adults, but we did that, but we did it under the presumption of like, can we get this person back on? We just have one more. It's, they don't have to prepare anything. Like, you guys are mean. You're mean. Wow. No, it's horrible. I'm it's jealous. Horrible. I've never done I was it. the nice one. Let's just note right horrible. here, right now. Yeah, they know. never but, forget it. But we recorded them, and it was like part of like, they've like put them out the on EPK social media. Stuff. I mean, it's like a whole yeah. thing. Yeah, but it's it was a thing now. Really, it's so but seeing that reaction after, I mean, particularly with Greece, at least, I mean, we put, like you were saying, with constant, I mean, just like round after round. I mean, some of those kids were doing it for like two months. Like it was like a huge process. It was so many steps. And I mean, it was just, I think they were so relieved that that was the, the emotion ultimately. Like they couldn't even process what it meant, but it was very cool. I was going to say for your question um, about like something that was just recent for me on League, when we, after we did the pilot, the producers called me and they said, look, we're going to, we're going to write in. Um, Max's uncle, who was his aunt, and it's a 50-year-old black uh, transmasculine actor. He's going to be a huge part in this. We want to start you early. So I, I started, and there was none. There's none in SAG. There's, there's three, and they're young. They're 30. So we did a gigantic search everywhere, but not only just the traditional ways. I was going through books of transmasculine photos and calling the photographer and saying, how can I find this person? And we find them. He was a preacher in Seattle and I had him take, wow. I, mean, I just did it. I did every single thing. And then when we so got dumb. Lee who had done one, I think Lee was, Lee lives in San Francisco and he had done like, he just started, we had to put him in, you know, Taft Hartley him and everything. And he was very green and we worked with him a lot and we put him with a coach and um, paired him also with a, an actor to play his love interest that has, was very experienced and came and did a bunch of, um, you know, Zoom, because it's all during the pandemic, Zoom readings with Shante, who played Max, and Saida, who plays um, her mother, Tony, and just, like, really, like, getting them comfortable. We talked to them a lot. We're very close with them right now. And hopefully they'll maybe get nominated for an Emmy. That would be wonderful. I guess. But that was, like, really a big thing. And, and to find somebody who's, you know, I mean, incredible. They're on their journey. They're, they're just learning, like, how to be an actor. But they really are so special. So I'm very proud of about Lee and playing Uncle Bertie. Yeah, that's incredible. Well, and I think it kind of connects to something uh, y'all were talking about earlier, um, which is, you know, I think just hearing these stories, it's very clear to all of us that you guys are obviously very passionate about what you do. And, you know, working with these actors, like, you really care. Um, and I think, was it him or I'm sorry, was it Richard, you were saying you feel like the conception is sometimes that casting directors are like gatekeepers, mm -hmm. um, but you're not. You're, and please speak for this, but um, you were saying like, yeah, you're, you're an ally for actors and it's a, um, I think Jeannie, you were saying it's a collaborative process. Yeah, Can you guys speak to that? it's endlessly fascinating to watch actors do their thing and I love it so deeply that all I want to do is be around it. So, so... I get to have a career that allows me to be right there and to support it and to foster it and to do my best to get the best one to be in our show. So, but it's also, well, I mean, it, it, it makes sense. Like, it's deceptive. I mean, we're on, like, opposite sides of the table. Like, it feels like we're on opposite teams, but it, it's true. Like, yeah, it's right. It looks a lot of times process. like we're saying no, but 
if the act, the, the actors who, um, uh, what am I trying to say? I'm trying to talk about uh, actors stepping into that conversation with, uh, we so appreciate the vulnerability that is required to go for a part and not get it and to do what they're doing, that um, uh, if you can rem remember that we love you, exactly. no matter that we're saying no in this moment, uh, or even ahead of the no, like just that we're, even though we're on looking at you and it feels like we're on opposing sides, we're actually on the same team. We're rooting for you. Like any note is to make the performance better, to get it closer to what we believe is what the role requires. You know, all of those things are, I, I understand can seem, you know, demoralizing or hard or like counter to what was prepared and all the work that an actor put in, but it's it's really like we're on your team, we're advocating for you even like in those moments, like we're like pushing you towards that, so. But, but I have to say that we are a rare breed. I can't speak for all of our colleagues, oh, sure. as many of my friends are actors, <laughs> and I hear terrible stories from some of my, about some of my colleagues. I mean, I'd like to think that they're all as loving and, and warm and giving as totally. we are, but. I think people I have bad days too. You know, you have to give. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, yeah. sure, sure. sure. But, or there's stuff going on, like with your, like you could be in a session and you're like, this show just fell apart. Uh -huh. And that you, you know that, and I've had that happen when I did movies all uh -huh. the time. And you're like, I have a full day of sessions and our, this movie just fell apart. Uh -huh. We can't cancel. We still have to go through this. So I think the other thing that's important to remember, uh, or I try to remind actors, especially young actors, but like, it's all, it's all building a foundation. So it's not about, it shouldn't be about this job or that job. You know, you're, you're, you're building a foundation to the eventual job. And all you can do is go in and do your best work each and every time. And, you know, only one person can get that role. But if you continue to build a foundation of, you know, good work and, mm -hmm. you know, being prepared and all that. I mean, our job is to remember you, you know, and that, 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 that again, you you just have to be thinking about it long term, mm -hmm. and not just about you know this job in this moment. Um, yeah, and I'm sure you all like have you know actors that you know like you were saying maybe didn't weren't the right fit for one role, and then can you guys speak to maybe an example of when you were able to work with someone that previously hadn't gotten the role? I mean, many that happens all the time, and I think that's part of our genius in the room is many times a producer will say, I love them, but they're just not right for this. And we're like, hey, well, why don't we have them play this? Mm -hmm. And they go, oh my God, that's incredible. Uh, when I, I work a lot with Pamela Adlon on better things and other stuff. And we do that all the time. I'll send her people and she'll say, all right, I want, I, I want what, what other parts can we cast them all in? Because I love them all, you know, like however it. it works. So I yeah. think that's, a, that's also a testament to your relationship with the showrunner that hopefully is, you know, one that, that's communicative. And there's other times where I, I say, like, I hate when they cast it in the writer's room and they just tell us that's our choice. And I'm always going back saying, can you just let me know what you've liked about other people? Because maybe something will come up later and we can go back to that person. 
and I did a pilot, um, Californication, I don't know how many years ago now, 16 years ago or something, and that showrunner I've worked with many times since, we still go back to people that we saw in the pilot. Wow. We still talk about, cool. and we will, we will bring them up for stuff. So, it, like Jeannie said, you know, it, it's the longevity. It's you're setting yourself up for more things to come. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, how have you guys, like, honed your skills like in in the, the, these roles that you have, I mean, I imagine a lot of it's just experience. But I mean, hearing you all speak, it, it obviously you have some some tricks um, and some just ways of being that make you really successful and effective in your role. Like, can you speak to that at all? I would, I would say two things uh, for me personally, and I think probably for all of us here on the panel. One is is uh, providing as safe a space for actors as possible because as Richard was saying, you know, you're calling on people to be vulnerable and um, be willing to try things in a room that maybe they didn't come in prepared to do, but you have, uh, you know, uh, information on the character that, you know, has either morphed from what it had originally been or they haven't gotten to read a whole script, so you have information. So, you know, you're giving them um, direction and things in the room and, and asking them to try things. Uh, that may be a little outside their comfort zone. So providing a safe and um, caring space. And then I think one of the things that that I've learned over the many years is when to go to battle uh-huh. uh, with producers over somebody. And, you know, and, what, and what, the ways what, in which you can go to battle. Yeah, yeah. Like manipulate, what, confront, right. yep. uh, go around. Yep. All, you Ooh. know, like more, more... Uh, tools in my toolbox. I used to just get mad at them for being dumb enough to not be of my opinion. Yeah. Now I I go, oh, that's great. Okay. Well, then I kind of come around again or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, And deciding, yeah, which swords you're going to fall on. And because you can't fight on everything. And Um, at the end of the day, it's their thing to to decide. Well, and that's sort of going a little bit back to the adaptation too of, you know, I mean, Yes, you can, you know, you want to put your own stamp on it, um, but you also have to understand that really you are serving this other person's vision. Yeah, at the end of the day, it needs to be something that they can embrace and they can feel as creatively invested in. And that's part of the reason I think casting is is uh, devalued often, because by the time they have finished creating it, they have forged an authentic connection between director and actor, and that feels completely real, and that means we've done our job. Um, but our job is to kind of become the, to be the garden in which that happens. It's beautiful, Richard. Thank you very much. Aww. I've had many years alone in a room just think yes. about it. Well, and I, I liken it to giving childbirth, like, you know, like, uh-huh. well, well, first you're like dating really heavily with okay. the, with the producer and the writer or whatever, and you're spending all this super, super intense time, <laughs> and then you, you get pregnant and you have the baby, and then you send it out into the world and you never hear from him again. Uh, Except when they need So money. ungrateful, yeah. so yeah. ungrateful. Yeah. Yeah. It I is. have a funny story. Oh, sorry. No, just years ago, I was doing a short film and um, it was an kind of a famous actor was directing it and he literally wrote this short so he could date 50 women. It was literally uh-huh. him and 50 women in it. Wow. And he disagreed with everything that I said. Like, no matter what I said, he would say the opposite. Uh-huh. So I just started saying the opposite. opposite. Yes. And then I How would fun. get who I wanted. And Fantastic. I was like, this is genius. That's, yeah. You learn <laughs> like you, 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 yeah, you go back to middle school tactics that. a lot of the time, <laughs> I find. It's simple. I mean, 
producers are not more complicated people than anyone else. It's just, right. I mean, you're talking about like a lot of money is at stake and like big projects and a lot of passion, but like ultimately it's just, what? I can't get my head on. Oh, it. oh uh-huh. it's okay. It's it's fine. <laughs> but it's, it really is just about like okay, what what is our objective? What do we think? But it it's also to Richard's point, like taking for I can only speak personally, like taking my ego out of it because I can I can get really righteous. I can get really <laughs> Me too. right. You know, I can get really uh, right, and like other people because you get are really wrong. You are right. I mean, I know well, that. Yeah, yeah. you know that. But like. They don't know that. But so it's sort of like, okay, have I done everything I can to make this actor's performance the best, who I think is really, would be really valuable to this project, could be really fantastic, could be really exciting. Have I done everything? And like, if it's still not landing, then like, I have to trust, like, I am still at, of service to the, this production, to these people. And so, you know, I have, I have to trust a little bit, but I really ditto also to what Jeannie said in terms of the, the making it a safe space. And that also translates now as everyone knows, like it's a huge, there's much more self-taping, you know, particularly at early stages of an audition process. And, and so we've had to, you know, my partner and I have had to, you know, figure out how to translate that, how we create a safe space when we're not physically in the same space, whether that, I mean, certainly that's easier on Zoom, but even in like instructions or the way that we communicate a request for a self-tape is just sort of like, availing ourselves and trying to support as much as possible. And I, I do think that's like the most important part, just making sure that actors feel supported and are able to trust us so that if they do go further, they, they can give the best performance in that first audition. And if they do go further, they, they trust us, they listen to us, they listen to our notes, they listen to the producers, you know, they feel grounded. You know, that's, I think, the best way to help. That's such a good point. I didn't think about how do you create a safe space when it's self-taping? Like... So how how do you do that? <laughs> I mean, it, it, I I wish I had more specifics than even just like that those generalities. You like, uh, two ways. Like you try, I try to be really uh, helpful in the notes about the character. I try to write an excellent as opposed to a generic character description. Uh, I will some uh, depending on the where we are in the process, make myself available to talk if they have any questions or whatever. Those are things we do. I bet there's others, but those... Yeah, are. everyone has my number. Everyone has my number. So I'm always like, just call me. Let's talk oh. about it. And I've done that even before self-taping because I just want everyone to do so well. Yeah. I mean, I would do that before the night of a test. I would get on the phone with everybody and talk about what they were wearing. They would show me pictures that we'd FaceTime. or I, Like, I just was very much... Didn't want anything like that to ruin their opportunity because someone didn't like their pants because I have had that happen before. Yikes. I also like to, uh, when I meet, and this was more before the pandemic, but when uh, actors who lived out of town would self-tape, whenever I had a chance to meet them, I would always say, I, I just want you to know, I watched your tape. I saw, you know, you, you were seen. Because yeah. I think so often it just felt like, you know, it was just going out into the ether. And, um, and especially now with so many people doing it, I, you know, I just try to, um, validate that as as often as I can. Um, yeah, it's it's all of those things, and uh, you know the the notes and availing ourselves and making ourselves as accessible as possible. And you know the very often, I mean, much much more often than I think we're given credit for. Like we we try to give as much time as possible. You know, from when we make the request to the due date. I think it can sometimes seem like it's a very short turnaround. If it, if it is, it's out of our control. But, you know, that 
changes things because, you know, we're of the mind that if you can get it in early, then, like, it gives us a chance to do those adjustments that, like, you know, again, it's, it's about approximating the, you know, the process as it was before and sort of, like, okay, like, you know, I think people think, like, nobody watches this or, like, I don't get to try it again or I don't get notes. And we would love to do that. Sometimes the process doesn't allow for that. Sometimes the timeline doesn't allow for that. But, you know, when it does, we will take advantage of that, definitely. And I think there's some casting directors that are almost afraid to say to their producers things like, I, I'm not, I can't have that to you tomorrow. Like, I need to give these actors a little more time or this is too much material for a first round. Like, I, I mean, I'm the first person to be like, this is too much or this scene doesn't work. Can you guys write something else? Because we'll never cast anybody off of this if we need them to be funny. Or, I mean, I do think that a lot of our colleagues do sort of just go with what they know, which is like, okay, this is what we're supposed to do. This is how, what they want. But this is our part of it. Like, we should feel confident enough to say to them what the timeline is, not let them dictate it. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, well, can you guys speak to, you know, you were talking about, you know, which which hills to die on or which swords to fall on. Um, do you guys have any examples of, like, when you were like, you know what, this is the hill I will die on, um, and I'm not going to take no for an answer? Um. <laughs> oh. <laughs> no. right. safe yeah, yeah, safe space. Yeah, safe space. Very safe. Camera's off. Thank you. Uh, no, I mean, I think we were talking about this earlier. I, I, I think we're all really great. At least the four of us are really grateful that you know this concept of uh, inclusivity is becoming less arduous and less like we have to explain it constantly. It's becoming more built in, more natural to a process on any given project. I, I will say, like, with Greece, at least, we one of the things that was so exciting from our first meeting with Annabelle Oakes, the showrunner, um, was that she wanted, like, her vision for this show was, you know, she wanted more body inclusivity, you know, more diversity, you know, which was all grounded in research and, like, what was reflective of, you know, Southern California in 1954, truly. And she just wanted all of the, these different, it, she wanted to be much more multifaceted than the Greece that we knew. And we were so jazzed about it. It was like, for the first time we were like, totally, like it's not gonna be this uphill battle, you know? So those, those are the kinds of things. I also just like a very specific other project. Um, I was, we were doing a, an Amazon pilot that didn't ultimately go with which with Bridget Everett. I and, loved that pilot. I texted you right away. It was brilliant. So um, all of the Downs kids. I know Downs it was. Yeah, so it, it was a, a very sizable um, supporting cast of actors with Down syndrome. Like the the characters were all. Bridget Everett worked at this home for adults with Down syndrome. It was such a beautiful show. It was so fucking funny. Um, really perfect. But like we went in and again, this was not a battle because it, we went through it with integrity and the producers were down from the beginning, but we went in from the first meeting. Like we're not compromised. Like we're not casting people. And, but that was like a conversation we had to wow. have, you know, like internally at least like we're all on the same page at least. So, you know, things like that, like we're not, we don't want to do things in an arbitrary way or compromise our morals. You know, that's, that's just not what we're into anymore. Yeah. On a much more, oh, go. Mine's kind of 
oh, it's a, it's not the, I'm sure it's not the best example, but it's the first one that came into my head. But like, uh, I did the pilot of the L word and we did tests and Catherine Monig, who is this kind of Lothario sex, but you know she sleeps with everybody and she came in and she did her test and the straight white guy who was the head of the network at the time was like I don't see it and I was like uh-huh. what <laughs> and and so and uh, and I didn't confront him but I went to the showrunner and we and I was like you have to make him see kind of girding her loins so she can go back in there and and get it done and the chemistry of that actually, I think, is what made that pilot. So, yeah, uh, uh, mine so much superficial than that. So, um, that's usually where say, I live. It, so, <laughs> so it's fine. No, I mean, I've I've just uh, I've I've died on some hills uh, of actors who are uh, were casting in more comedic roles who've only done drama. Uh-huh. And going when, but they're actors, like you know, just to give them the chance. So. Um, Rachel Brosnahan and Marvelous Mrs. Maisel and Eben Mossbachrach and In the Bear uh, were both, you know, people that we had to sort of, I had to fight for a little bit just because they were like... How did you fight for uh, Rachel Brosnahan? In what way? Uh, I just was like, she's such Uh, a phenomenal... Yeah, Uh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But she's not funny. She hasn't, you know, she hasn't... And it was a cast contingent, which meant like they had to cast that role before they were going to decide whether or not to do the series. And, you know, so it was like, no, 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 you know, just even looking at her resume, like we, there was like ruling her out from the get-go. And it was like, wow. well, how about we actually like give her a shot? Yeah, totally. Um, and then, you know, one time it was like, ah, and then by the second, it was like, okay. And then they, but they had to trust then that not only what did she do it just in the audition, but that she was going to be able to sort of grow and, and go from there. But Well, thank you for fighting the good fight, y'all. That's like, yeah, it's huge. Well, I mean, but that's what's so great about the, this festival is, like, folks like y'all, like, you know, we're here because we want to hear your perspective. And, you know, I imagine there's not necessarily a lot of opportunity for you guys to share, like, what you do and be recognized for what you do. Um, so, I mean, we're not done yet, by the way. That was, like, would have been a good closing. But, um, <laughs> but I just want to say that because I think, you know, part of my excitement about doing this panel was just, like, learning more about what y'all do and how you make the magic happen. Cause I think there's not like a, I think for, for the most part, it's like the stereotypes you see in movies and shows about the industry where mm-hmm. it's like, you know, someone not even paying attention to the actor, mm-hmm. like staring down at the table, oh, you know, have you, yeah. have you ever seen a depiction of um, someone doing casting in a film or, or TV show that you're like, that actually, that's accurate. Any, any time? I played it. What? On shows. What? I've, I've played a casting director in like four things I've worked on, but because I'm what? not SAG, they, I can't speak. And every time I'm like, I, this is not what I would do. Like, I'm oh, like, yeah? I'm like, this is not at all how it would be. And they're like, but in my mind, as the person who wrote it, that's what it seems like to me. Uh-huh. And here I am going like, but I I'm, I'm like the mute person. Like, it's ridiculous. So Are you at least like looking encouraging? Or do they just, they're like, sit there and be... Stony and silent. Um, mm, oh, okay. Mm, mm. I'm on people's <laughs> reels. It's hilarious. Yeah. The only thing I can that comes to mind is in Girls when Andrew Reynolds at the end, like I think it's in the last season when he goes on like this like open call for the thing, and 
I do think that was like a very encouraging environment for him. He like goes through multiple callbacks. Like I think it's multiple days or at least like a full day, and like they're really cheering for him. Like I feel like he doesn't ultimately get it or something, but it's really like encouraging, which is more than I can say for a lot of other projects. I don't know why that's coming to mind. I got nothing. Yeah, I mean, I was like racking my brain. I was trying to think. Table out there, and the one camera. It's like I I mean, I know that's more of a maybe theater. It looks like that. I don't Uh know Broadway. Our rooms more usually look almost more like a therapist's office in a way. They're like we try to make it cozy and it's colorful and there's a background. Like they never have it what it looks like real. Yeah, nothing between us and the actors. Yeah, Yeah. because that that, yeah, because you want to feel that connection if you're going to be in the room. See, that's really good to know because you don't see that. Like, I think no, all no. of us were picturing that, like, white clinical room with lights right, behind and a table. table. Or, like, Sold American Idol. Like, I think, like, people, <laughs> yeah. like, I think it's, like... Right, they, numbers up. Yeah. 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 Looking at your sweat like this. I mean, I always read with the actors that I'm, like, standing. If they're standing, I'm sitting. If they're standing... I'm totally. Like, I'm off book, I'm, like, in the scene with them. Yeah, because I act with them, and if they don't... They need to act at least as good as me. You know what I mean? <laughs> so I look them in the eye and yeah. see what they've got to tell me. A thousand percent. Yeah. yeah. I do. My husband's an actor, and he does tell a story, though, about uh, a casting director he used to go in for on a lot of comedy stuff who would try to add a button to the scene <laughs> so that they had, so they always oh, ended no, with, so like, the funnier line. Uh, he was like, loser. you got a job. Like, yeah. can I just get a shot? <laughs> I think that's or another that. time, or another, another casting director who he was doing reading with, and she kept laughing really hard at all his lines, which was really nice, but it, there was no flow to the scene. Uh-huh. So I was like, <laughs> and then he would go and I really appreciate your enthusiasm, but if but we, we got to get, yeah. we got to do yeah. this. Oh, it's funny. Doesn't make <laughs> you, for a you good can, take. You can, I guess, go too far. I think I've tried to add a button a couple times. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm so in it. Like sometimes I'm so of in it. Course. I'm like, well, I just need. Well, you're the button. Yeah. It was me. <laughs> she, she wasn't gonna say. Exactly. <laughs> she looked at me. I knew it was me. <laughs> <laughs> well, now I think we all want a TV show about the cast about casting. Like you guys yes, could be the do. stars. Yes, we do. Who's paying? <laughs> I'm off her only. <laughs> oh, you're not going to audition? This is, this is ah, She's off okay. Only. I get to say who's playing me. And who would that be? Yeah, who would it Yeah, let's do that. Let's play that oh, game. Gosh. Cast yourselves on the TV show. Edie Falco. No. Oh, oh, yeah. Maybe, maybe. A little, little more New York than me, but. You know. A little more. Yeah, that's, that's good. Okay, thank you. I don't know who it would be for me. I don't know. Uh, I, I don't know. No? Well, it'd be Pamela Adlon for you then, wouldn't it? I mean, you know. I'd do her. She does me. It's easy. Yeah. <laughs> Flip the script. Well, think about it. Okay, this panel's not over yet. So, and we can maybe take suggestions from the audience uh, near the end. But, uh, but usually I'm appalled at what who people think I am because I have a, an internal self image of like, you know, that I'm this way, but I'm not. That's why I'm giving you the option to cast I yourself know, first. I know. I'm not you could think about take it. Advantage. I did last year cast somebody who. For themselves, I had to cast somebody. Well, actually, in better things, I'm casting her whole family that I know. But um, I did this show, a pilot for um, I don't know FX or Comedy Central. I forget who ended up doing it. Called Meaty, and it was Samantha Irby's book based on her book. So we were casting her a little bit younger, and that it's in her latest book. She talks about that process, about what it was like for her to look at auditions of her. And it's it was really interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. Are you guys able to like 
so I was thinking about how like as a like when I read a book, you know, I picture the character in my head and, you know, I think for a lot of us like fan casting is really fun. Like mm. it's just like a fun game to play. Like does that happen to you if you're like say reading a book that you love like do you turn that part of your brain off or is it just always on? Like, are you like picturing, oh, I would totally cast this person as this main character? Yeah, I do it. Yeah. Yeah. That's often how I read a book. Like, I'll put a placeholder person in there. Like, you know, so, uh, some good actor that I'd like. Yeah. yeah. I mean, have you, have y'all read a book recently that you were like, you know what? I would love for this to be adapted and I would, I know exactly who I'd want to cast or, you know, anything like that. I think I read, I don't know that I, I mean, obviously any script I read, it's, I do it immediately. Books, I feel like less so, but I, I will read a book and be like, that should, like someone should write that, like yeah. someone should adapt that. I read um, the Poisonwood Bible just recently, Barbara Kingshalver, uh, incredible book. Pulitzer Prize, you know. I'm not, no big first, deal. I'm not the first one. No big that. deal. But it's like, those are incredible roles. Like those are, it's like, oh my God, whoever, if someone wrote that, whoever got to play those roles is like so lucky. You know, I'll do things like that. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, I think same, reading scripts I will, but not books. But I sometimes have to watch a movie or some shows more than once because I lose the story because I'm so busy watching the acting. Mm, yeah. Um, or someone will say, you know, what did you think, like, visually or that? And I'm like, I'm not don't sure remember. what you're saying. Yeah, didn't, yeah, exactly. Didn't notice. Didn't notice. Not, yeah. Um, well, I want to give you guys some time. Um, does anybody have a question they'd like to ask our panelists? Yes, ma'am. Kids cast the parts? I think they just asked the questions. Oh, I was like, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> the kids were in charge. <laughs> Uh, yeah, because you're because you're like like I did uh, a remake, uh, a hairspray, which was a remake of the old movie, and you're trying to you're trying to find what was awesome about those characters and put them in these new bodies. So yeah, I think it's all it's part of what we do. Yeah, and I, I mean, and I think it also depends on if that adaptation is you know sort of bringing it into present day and so how, yeah, what how are, you are you trying to do with this are yeah with to, with the with the new with the remake are you trying to say something new are you trying to present the story in a new way and and that can be freeing because you're you're not in any way kind of beholden um you're trying to tell a different story but um but certainly there are iconic roles i can't imagine like trying to do a new version of something that's so like not that i can think of what it is right now but like a majorly iconic role yeah no for sure I mean, I was glad that we didn't have, they weren't doing, like, Grease the series and, like, trying to cast, you know, Danny Zuko and 
Well, yeah. But also, like, I'm just glad. Thank you for not casting, like, 35-year-olds as high schoolers. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yes, that was This gal funny. grew up thinking I was going to look like Sandy when I was 17. Yeah, that's a casting no. miscue, I would say. Yeah. Like, you know, I'm glad that way of casting is gone. Yeah. Me too. I mean, yeah. that was our challenge on League was people expected it to be the movie. And, I mean, that was, I don't know if that's a question coming up, but it seems tied in here now. Um, I, I just remember the second we, I started working on it, I was getting calls from agents saying, I, got, I have got your Tom Hanks. And I was like, did you read the script? This, and they said, yeah, I read it. And I said, I mean, there's no Tom Hanks in this. This, there's no, this guy, there's a guy that comes in like maybe episode three, but there's no, so you haven't read the script. And no, this is a very different version. This is, you know, more true to the real stories. There, we have, it's two stories. We have the black experience and then the Peaches experience. And like, you know, I had to explain that over and over again because everyone just assumed it was the movie. Uh-huh. Yeah, for sure. Um, who else had a question? Yes, ma'am. Hi, I'm Kimberly. I'm an associate casting director. Yes, you are. <laughs> uh, I am always fascinated to learn from you. How did you get to become casting directors? And did you always, when did you know you wanted to be one? And a little about your journey to becoming one. Thanks. Do you want to start? Oh, and uh, what about David Hyde Pierce to play you? What about what? David Hyde Pierce to play you. Uh-huh. Oh, there we go. That's, <laughs> that's pretty good. That, she's in casting, I like that one. Yeah, that's good. I'll take that. Uh, I'll take that. Okay. I, I was an actor for a minute um, and uh, realized that I needed to have a little more stability in my life. So um, was lucky enough to do an internship with an off-Broadway theater company. And it was initially to just kind of find out how the business side of things worked. Um, but I found that I loved it and I still got to be creative and use the things I learned as an actor in terms of being able to talk to actors in casting, be able to share a shared language, I found um, tremendously helpful. Uh, So that was my very short story. Anybody else? Um, I I bounced around a bit, and then I was also an actor when I was younger, so I think I had reference. I mean, like we were talking about, I, I think a lot of people don't exactly either know casting exists or know what it is, but I sort of had a reference for it, and... Uh, my aunt, who I'm very close to, actually is a uh, casting director in fashion, like for shoots and shows and stuff, and I thought that was going to be what I wanted to do. Um, so I did that briefly. I worked with her, and I was like, oh, God, this is terrible world. It's not what I want to do <laughs> yeah. at all. But I did like the process. I was like, oh, this makes sense. And so I, uh, research- I was like, how do I get into this? I reached out to anyone who had any proximity to you know, the entertainment industry at all, and uh, ultimately got an internship uh, with Bernie Telsey at Telsey and Company, and never left. <laughs> they never got rid of me until I left to start my own office. Oh, good for you. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was a hairdresser on Long Island, but before that, I was actually an actor as a kid through, like, all my school time. Up to, like, seventh grade, I was in all the plays. We had a great theater company in my town on Long Island, I went to beauty school out of high school, was a hairdresser on Long Island. My brother started doing low-budget horror movies, and he got me involved with them. I'd do hair and makeup. I would do props. I did art department. He would leave me in Canada. I'd cast the movie, crew the movie. I'd be knocking people's doors. Can we use your house for location? He would come back and say, did Felicia hire all the crew? Because everyone looks like Rob Lowe, and there's no girls. (laughs) 
I'm 19 and I'm single and I'm ready to mingle in, in Montreal. So anyway, um, he moved to LA. I, I, came, I followed him. I got a bunch of jobs here from friends I went to high school with. I was like 23 years old, working. I was a puppeteer on Gremlins 2. I worked wow. on a Disney ride. I was, I was a PA for the first time, even though I'd been like producing movies in Canada. And I did all these jobs. And um, then I got a job for working for... Um, Jackie Birch on a movie that my brother wrote. So I was going to be the art department coordinator and I didn't get the job, but then I got that job working with her and she's like, I'm doing all these movies, Die Hard 2, Predator 2, stay with me, I'll train you. And I learned from her. And that's something I did want to say, like the best casting directors really worked with like great casting directors. It's the same with agents and managers, people who like just decide to do this. You have to learn from somebody this job. It doesn't just like... There's so much to it that nobody knows. So luckily, I did work first, like, I think one of the best. I mean, she did 16 Candles. She did all the John Hughes movies and then all the big Die Hard movies. And it was a great experience. And I've gotten to hire her <laughs> later <Nice>. in life. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, me? Uh, yeah, I was an actor, too. I'll I thought you were going to say you were also a hairdresser on Long Island. I was a hairdresser on Long Island, yeah. yes. You played one. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. played one. <laughs> me and, me and uh, what's David Hyde Pierce. Yeah, is me and David. David Hyde Pierce. Uh, any other questions? Yes. The microphone is coming to you. This has been great. Um, you've talked a lot about working with new and fresh talent and how rewarding that is. Curious, where is the most unconventional place you found your gym? Like, I hear stories about some of the cast of Euphoria being found by casting director on the streets of New York. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, just curious if you Ooh, have any of those fun. stories. Yeah, fun. The restaurant. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, walking through the streets of um, uh, Binghamton, New York, because that's where it was set, and we just, like, found people who were walking down the street and asked them to audition. That was one. Did they believe you, or were they like, oh, sure, sure. Yeah, right. Like, I'll I, come but back I with you, sure. I had flyers, and I had my, like, professional face on, you know what I mean? Like, like I wanted, yeah, because sometimes, cause, yeah, right. I was doing a movie where we were casting uh, 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 Latinx actors, and actors, you know, people for, uh, and, and this white guy handing out flyers in a, in a grocery store, a lot of people were like, what are you doing? And I don't trust you. So I, yeah. so it made me remember, you know, I'm tried to make myself extra trust a bull. That's what they all say, but sure. Yeah. Did you guys For me, it's more like when I cast the real world. I mean, that's when I was like going to raves or going uh -huh. to those weddings. I'm sorry, venues. you cast the real world? I did season two LA. So we okay. were looking and I had, um, Edie Belasco was my assistant. And oh, fun. We would, I would have, and then was that Norm Laura Gannis, and no. she would take her rollerblades and go through the universities. And just, like, we just went everywhere looking for people and targeting cities and targeting careers. We wanted somebody who was going to get married. So we went to all those wedding events, you know, those big expos and stuff like oh, that. Uh -huh. But the raves were really fun. I would, I would go by myself. I'd find like, the biggest, scariest guy, and I'd say, you're my assistant today. I'm doing this thing for MTV. You're my assistant. Give him up. I said, here's a Polaroid. Go find the hottest girls here and bring them over to me. You're going to get so lucky tonight. And they would be like, <laughs> and they would be like, so, like the, hey, I got you this girl. It was so cute. So cute. Wow. Hey, can, I, can I ask an, a question of the audience? 
Yeah, sure. Do, does anyone um, have, uh, in, in terms of the casting adaptations, like uh, someone who got cast in something you love that you either thought was amazing or terrible? Ooh, good amazing. question. Morgan Freeman in Shawshank Redemption. Uh-huh. In the, novel, in the novel, he was an Irishman with red hair in Stephen King's book, and then they made a little wink in the movie and, and, you know, when he says, why do they call you Red? He just kind of goes, maybe it's because I'm Irish. And that was... Uh -huh. Oh, that's so good. Stephen King's original novel. I did not know that. Yeah. I love it. Also, he, I was going to say yeah. Clark Gregg, Evie, Tom Hardy, and Melissa McCarthy. Clark Gregg. Wow. <laughs> By the way, Hardy, Melissa Robin, McCarthy, good, I dude. cast her yeah. to in a part that I was offered. Did you mess with her? I cast Melissa So I, got, I was doing... I was the casting director on this little movie, and okay, the, pretty, the directors came up to me, and they said... They'd heard me reading the whole time, and they're like, we want you to play this part. And I was like, I can't do I said, I'm not an actor. I will freeze up. And it was this little movie with Christina Ricci. I was like, I will find you someone better than me. And I cast Melissa McCarthy in nice. it. So that's right. By the way, yeah, are you, you available for my next project? <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Well, well, I'm really bummed because we have to wrap up, and I don't want oh, no. to. Um, but yeah, this was a blast. Thank you guys for being here, and thanks y'all for being here. Well, it's the best panel, right? This was great. Thank you so much. You have been listening to the TV Campfire podcast, hosted by ATX TV co-founders Emily Gibson and Caitlin McFarland, and produced by Jennifer Morgan. This conversation was recorded live at ATX TV Festival Season 12 in Austin, Texas, between June 1st and 4th, 2023. For more information on the festival and becoming an ATX TV member, follow us at ATX Festival or visit atxfestival.com.